Really nice to see you. Hey, the weather's changed. You notice that? We are in the fall. In England, we call it autumn. Everyone say autumn. Autumn. Doesn't that sound posher to you? So much better. Well, it's great to see you. We are continuing this series. What a great set this is. Uh, the guys did a great job in building this. This reminds me of my monthly visits with the Queen when I go as an advisor. <laughs> Thanks for believing that. Uh, the story so far, there's been a marriage breakup. Xerxes the king has fallen out with his wife Vashti because uh, she has a brain. And she's not going to allow him to push her around. Good for her. And the king is on a search for a new queen. Last weekend, Pastor Darry talked about lust. How many of you were here last weekend? How many wish you had been? Now you know what it was about. <laughs> this weekend, we're going to zoom in on a conspiracy and an unexpected prime ministerial promotion as we think about engaging with our world. Let's have a look at Esther chapter 2. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions, as she had done when, she was, when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. This, all this was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. After these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behaviour would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. You know, there are, uh, there are some things that I say in my marriage to Kay that, uh, that, that evoke an, in, an immediate response of, of panic and sometimes terror. Uh, for example, if I turn to my wife and I say, Honey, we don't, we don't need the map or the devil lady in the GPS. Everything is fine. I know the way. Then suddenly she, she develops this rabbit in the headlights look and navigational tension breaks out in the car. It scares her. Or if I say, um, don't worry about calling the plumber, honey. I can fix this. Then she looks panicked and starts dressing in scuba gear as a result. Of that, There are things that I can say that are kind of scary. There are some things that Christians say that make me very, very afraid. 
So sometimes people come up to me and they say, I'd like to tell you the truth in love. How many know that's a good time to buy yourself a crash helmet when people say that? Or or sometimes I've been in Christian gatherings, in services, and someone has stood up and they've said, you know what, I I haven't really prepared this song I'm going to sing because the Lord gave me this song last night. Oh dear. And that can be true, but sometimes you hear it and you think, well, he probably didn't want it. He didn't want it in the first place, did he? That's why he gave it to you. You know, it's pretty ugly. Here is a statement... Here is a statement that Christians make sometimes and it kind of terrifies me. It's time to make a stand. It's time to make a stand. You see, it is time for us to make a stand, but we don't always get it right. When I became a Christian 300 years ago, I really, I really wanted to make a stand. I wanted to make a stand in my workplace. I was working for Barclays Bank in the city of London. I I didn't like it much because, you, you know, you can't take home free samples. That's boring, isn't it? <laughs> but I wanted to make a stand and so I had a big badge as big as a trash can lid and it had something subtle on it like eternity, smoking or non-smoking. <laughs> kind of slow this morning, people. <laughs> and I, I, I had a Bible bigger than my head and... And I tried to make a stand in my family. My parents were not Christians at the time. Hello, Dad. I am a Christian. You, sadly, are not. You are lost forever. Have a nice day. I was making a stand. Well, this... This episode this morning is the story of a man who's trying to make a stand. His name is Mordecai. He is Esther's cousin. He's named 58 times in the book of Esther. He is most likely elderly, probably around 80. He's incredibly intelligent. The rabbis taught that Mordecai knew around 70 different languages. And there's been an interesting conspiracy that's been taking place. A conspiracy has been uncovered. Uh, this uh, business of assassination, these conspiracy plots were very common. In fact, King Xerxes, this guy, was assassinated 14 years after this event. The throne was a very dangerous place to be. But this conspiracy plot is uncovered as Mordecai gets to hear about it, tells Esther. Esther uh, reports it and the whole thing is thwarted. And you would think as a result of that, that Mordecai would now be promoted. But instead, Haman, who is the enemy of the Jews, he gets promoted. By the way, in Jewish circles, Haman, anytime his name is mentioned in, in a synagogue, um, Everybody has to hiss. So I thought we could get that out of our system right now. Okay, so let me just say the word Haman. (laughs) Oh, that was really powerful. Well done, people. Just to say, you don't have to do that anymore, whether I say Haman or not. Stop that. Stop that. Very naughty. And so what happens is, this guy whose name I mentioned earlier... 
He is promoted and Mordecai, everybody else is bowing at royal decree to this newly promoted man. But Mordecai refuses to bow. That's the overview of this story. You see, Mordecai is wrestling, I suggest, with a challenge that we all wrestle with today. And that is, he is living as a Jew in a foreign land. He is living in Babylon. Mordecai's family originated from Jerusalem. But in the exile of 597 BC, they were, they were deported and they ended up in Babylon. Some years later, King Cyrus gave permission for the Jews to return to Zion, to return to their city in 538 BC. About 50,000 of them left. But Mordecai's family decided to stay. And so now, get this, he is trying to do faith in an unfamiliar land. Back in Zion, back in Jerusalem, there was a temple. Uh, Back in Jerusalem, Yahweh, God's name, was honoured and worshipped. The temple and the palace worked together. Faith was enshrined in national life. People around them shared the same values. Their children were taught the same stories. They felt at home in Zion. But now, in Babylon, they were having to do faith in exile here God was not known or honoured or worshipped. There was no temple. Here, people had to do faith without the support of any institution. The people around them had different values to their own. Their children were being taught stories in school that they were uncomfortable with. There were no public festivals celebrating Yahweh. They were doing faith in a strange land. Does that sound familiar? You see, culturally, we are living in exile. And theologically, we are living in exile. How many of you know that I am a resident alien? Do you know that? A resident alien. Nanu, nanu. (laughs) I have a green card. It's blue. It's always been blue. It's never been green. You people call it green. That's fine. That's what freedom gives you the opportunity to do. Did you know that we're all resident aliens? It is not that heaven is not my home, I'm just a passing through. No, it's it's not that. Because we are called to be resident, but also to know that we are aliens even as we are resident. Because we are kingdom people. And so Hebrews 11 talks about us being strangers on the earth. 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 2, we are exiles. Philippians 3 talks about us being the colony of heaven. So we are wrestling with this idea of doing faith in territory that is not always welcoming to it. So how do we make our stand? How do we do that? It matters. Some of you might be sitting there right now saying, you know what, does it really matter? I tell you, it matters. When you look at the church in Germany and the struggles that they had with the rise of Nazism, it matters. The church, much of the church wanted to shake hands with Hitler, to not oppose him. They were struggling with a 400-year-old Lutheran doctrine of two kingdoms. What that meant was that you obey God and you totally obey the authorities. And so they refused to make a stand. 
But there were some brave individuals that founded something called the Confessing Church. They met in May 1934 in the city of Barman. And they issued a declaration to say, no, we're not going to go with this. We don't have to submit to this totalitarian regime. There were brave people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer made his stand. And four weeks before Nazism capitulated, they took him out, they stripped him naked and they hung him. It matters. People like Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller survived the war, but they, as a result of him preaching a famous sermon called Christ is my Führer, Hitler put him in Dachau concentration camp. And he was finally liberated by, by the Allies in 1945. My brothers and sisters, listen up. It matters how we make our stand for Christ in the market. Place. So, what can we learn from Mordecai? Well, I know some of you have been sitting there, you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I haven't got to fill anything in the bulletin yet. <laughs> not a thing. Fear not, little flock. Because <laughs> here we go. Some of you go, oh, thank God. First of all, in making our stand, get involved in your world. Don't try and get away from it. Get involved in your world. Don't try and get away from it. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Now, that's a really uh, interesting statement. It isn't that Mordecai was just like, you know, he was hanging out at the king's gate. Great coffee there. Excellent donuts. Sitting at the king's gate, it's a, it's a term that's used five times in the book of Esther, and it indicates that actually Mordecai was part of the royal administration. He had some kind of position in the government, maybe as a judge, maybe a royal official. In fact, just recently in the 1970s, archaeologists discovered the king's gate. Here it is. Uh, that, that Just the gatehouse was 13,000 square feet. A huge edifice. And it, it does seem that Mordecai was completely immersed in his culture, immersed in his world, and he had a position of authority in that government. There are two things that we can do, missiologist David Smith says, in response to living in exile. Number one is isolation. Well, it just, the, the world's a big bad place. Just, just get away from it. Nasty, nasty world. Let's... Let's go to 500 Christian meetings a week. And let's keep as far away. And, and every now and again, we run out into the world and we go, Jesus love you. And then we run back. And we get isolated. It isn't helped by our misunderstanding of Scripture because the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. But that's got nothing to do with being physically separated. It's to do with moral distinctiveness. Jesus didn't physically separate himself from his world. That's what upset the religious people around him. They had a cow because he was so involved. Did I just say they had a cow? It's in the original text. No, it's not. It's not. He was involved. 
And sometimes because of what I call escapology, eschatology. Escapology, eschatology is, well, Jesus is coming back, we're all going to get out of here soon, so let's not worry, huh? Boy, that's a bad attitude. You see, God doesn't want us to be looking for the great escape. Yes, he wants us to look for his coming, but to be involved in seeing his kingdom come while we wait. He doesn't want us to be isolated. But the other danger is, first of all, isolation. But the other danger is simply assimilation. We, we just become like everybody else. Well, just fit in, blend in, don't make a fuss. Everyone's watching it. Everyone does that. And we just become part of the herd. I, uh, I discovered a, uh, news of a test that a police officer took. Uh, he was seeking promotion to, uh, to sergeant. And uh, he had to take a test to see how he would, how he would uh, do with decision-making and making priorities. Uh, you, you can take the test right now yourself. Here it is. Uh, you're driving along a road in your patrol car when suddenly a car coming from the other direction veers across the road and smashes into another car. As you approach the first car, you notice the wife of the police chief who is in charge of your precinct is driving it and a very strong smell of alcohol is coming from her car. You look into the other car and notice that a well-known local criminal who has jumped bail and is on the run is driving that car. He's sitting there looking dazed. In the back of his car are what looks like boxes of stolen DVD recorders. Just then, a truck, a fuel tanker, trying to avoid the two cars, veers off the road and plows into some storefronts. The tanker driver, distraught, jumps out of the cab and comes running towards you yelling, Fire! Fire! Do something, officer! And then you notice that the words toxic waste, high explosive, are marked on the side of the tanker. Just then, <laughs> a gang of 25 large chaps who just happen to be passing by begin looting the store, which has now caught fire. Please list your priorities and decisions. And the policeman taking the test paper wrote these words down. Priority and decision number one, remove uniform and mingle with crowd. <laughs> but, but do we do that? Some of us, we live isolated. We don't have any non-Christian friends and the ones we got, we think they're evangelistic projects. But guess what? No one wants to be a project. Or we just blend in, we become like everybody else. And we assimilate. Let's get involved. Let's not try and get away. Secondly, secondly, posture yourself as a saved sinner, not a super saint. Posture yourself as a saved sinner, not a super saint. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions, as she had done when he was bringing her up. We all like superheroes, don't we? The American superhero, Superman. He's amazing. Up, up and away. He wears blue pantyhose. He needs prayer, but he is incredible. Bond. James Bond. 007. Superheroes. These are not superheroes. In fact, they're kind of messed up. 
First of all, they're messed up because they're hiding their identity. And that means that they weren't following the Jewish kosher laws because that would have exposed them as Jews. Interestingly, Daniel and his pals followed kosher laws when they were in captivity. And Esther and Mordecai did not, and they were free and in authority. Not only that, but Esther's situation as entering the the royal harem, harem, however we say it, that's not good. She's breaking another law, uh, being a Jew, marrying a Gentile. My point is not to condemn them. My point is to say they are heroes, but they are flawed heroes, and so are we. Let's posture ourselves that way. Let's not go into our world. Gather round, ye. Come and see my beautiful life. Rather, we go into our world as people who, yes, do want to live beautifully. Yeah, we do. Agis Fernando says, by their life and witness, the people of God challenge the prevailing culture when it opposes God's wisdom and then demonstrate that God's way is indeed the best way. But let's face it, we don't always get it right. Here's a suggestion. Maybe you've not been getting it right in your workplace. Well, how about apologising? How about going in there or your family and saying, you know what, I am a Christian, but I've I've been messing it up lately. I'm sorry. I was flying through Chicago one time. and Do you ever have those days where you just just feel irritated? Confess. How many of you have ever have? You're just, just, just irritated. Raise your hand if that's true. Raise your hand if you tell lies in church by not raising your hand. I was just ticked. I can't, I'd, I'd, I'd flown 11 hours from London. I'd been eating food lovingly prepared by a demonized chef. I wasn't happy. And I walked up to the counter and the guy behind the counter, was not, he was just a bit tetchy, you know what I mean? Just a bit brisk. And I got a bit brisk. A bit... I didn't slap him or anything, but I was just a bit brisk. And I stepped away from the counter and I thought, you know what, I didn't do very well. I wouldn't have treated that man like that if he was a member of Timberline Church. I mean, I, I, I know, I, I live in this community. You're everywhere. You're lurking. I could never sin in this community. You're out there. And I thought to myself, you know, that's not consistent. So I thought, I'll apologize. So I got back in line, step up to the counter, and the guy says, hello, sir. And I said, "Uh, hello, it's me, the alien. (laughs) I said, I I just came to apologize. He said, what? What? I said, I wasn't very nice. I said, I wasn't very pleasant, was I? And I, I just wanted to apologize. And he looked at me like, <laughs> Hey, Frank, come and look at this guy. Real sick. <laughs> now, you know, the, the, the story should end, you know, that we had a group hug and we sang Kumbaya and he became a Christian and now he's working in Peru with children. No, no. Why don't we apologize when we get it wrong? We go, as, we go to our world as people who are in the process. Is an apology called for. Thirdly, finally, thirdly, serve, don't rant. Serve, don't, don't rant or major on minors. Look at this, chapter 3, verse 2. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, For the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Look at verse 6. 
Having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now look at this, everybody. I shall not, I shall not be moved, Mordecai. And it launches a holocaust. Now the big question is, was Mordecai right to refuse to bow? And Jewish commentators say, maybe not. Jewish people who, are, who hold Mordecai up to be an incredible hero, they are not certain that he, that he should have refused to bow. Bowing was part of everyday custom. This was not a Daniel situation, bowing in worship. This was bowing in respect. It was very common in the culture. I've got eight, eight or ten or... A bunch of examples on this paper here of, of everyday bowing between, between people. It was part of the custom. And the Jewish commentators and rabbis are prepared to face the fact that Mordecai may have been making a fuss about nothing. And that it created its own problems. Sometimes we get upset about the wrong things. Sometimes we, the church, we get, we get all steamed up about the wrong stuff. William Wilberforce campaigned in Britain against slavery. Do you know who some of his biggest opponents were? Christians. They, they opened their Bibles and they said, the Apostle Paul taught slaves, submit yourself to your masters, so slavery must be okay. Sadly, much of the Church of England was propped up by slave money. So when Wilberforce's Act of Parliament to outlaw slavery was defeated, the Bishop of Bristol rang the church bells in celebration. And he was wrong. But the Christians, you see, were getting all fired up about the wrong stuff. Sometimes we get hysterical. How many of you, this is an embarrassing question, how many of you have, as part of an item of clothing that you are currently wearing, you have a zipper. How many of you? <laughs> Some of you are thinking, hmm. So you men, bless your hearts, you men, I can see you looking at you, you're instinctively thinking, do I need to check something? You know? <laughs> Did you know that the zipper was invented at the beginning of the last century, but when the zipper was invented, some parts of the church campaigned against it. They said this is the beginning of moral downfall. That zipper can be opened way too quickly. <laughs> Buttons are the way forward. I can't believe I just told you that. The church was campaigning against zippers. Come forward right now if you have a zipper. My point is, everybody, sometimes we get upset about stuff that doesn't matter. And sometimes we rant. Politicians often complain that Christians can be the rudest people on the planet when they write to them. 
David Bebbington says, a belligerent tone, inflated rhetoric, exaggerated charges often accompany Christians' campaigns. A hectoring tone is a poor advertisement for Christianity. A militant moralism rarely reflects the meekness, the kindness and the long-suffering reflected in Scripture. Neil Messer says, the church's most important moral contribution to the society around it is not a distinctive and countercultural moral argument, but a distinctive and countercultural way of life that witnesses to the new possibilities opened up by following Jesus Christ. Does that mean that we should never speak out? Yeah, watch your tone. Let's watch the tone. Because the way we say things colours what we say. Let me give you an example. I'm going to say three words in two different ways. God loves you. loves you. Three words, two ways. Totally different message. Do we rant? Do we bully? Or do we serve? You know what, folks, as I conclude this, I think sometimes we think, some of us, we think we're being persecuted in our workplace because of Jesus I've got news. Sometimes it's nothing to do with Jesus at all. It's us they don't like. <laughs> yes, praise God, they all want to skin me alive because of my consistent faithful witness. No, it's not that. We're just boring. Ranting, aggressive, finger-pointing. And sometimes we betray the message by the way in which we speak. Well, our time has gone. I want to conclude this message as we live as people in exile. With the words of Gerard Kelly, a friend of mine, who says this. He says, whatever power the kings of Babylon display, God's power is greater. However big might be their empire, God's kingdom is bigger However unshakable their dominion might appear, it is as nothing compared to the dominion of God. Aren't you glad we don't have to do this stuff by ourselves in our own strength? But the mighty, mighty, mighty God, bigger than Xerxes, bigger than any power, bigger than death, this God is our God. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you today for your word and for the fact that you tell us the truth about your people. And as we deliberate these things, we don't know whether Mordecai was right or wrong in the final analysis, but we do know that we want to get it right when we try and make a stand. So in these next few moments, Lord, I pray that you will help us to respond to you, that we might live more effectively for you, in the world that you love. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Would you sit up with me? And some of us right now, you, I know what you're thinking, regular Timberliners, you're thinking, where's the music? They normally play music. Well, I, I decided deliberately that until we come to another prayer in a moment, I, we wouldn't have any music. And I'll tell you why. Out there in the real world, life doesn't come with backing music. 
Have you ever known? It irritates me. Tom Cruise kisses someone and the London Symphony Orchestra are there to back him up. But I kiss Kay and I look around, there's not a violin or a bassoon to be seen. Sometimes I wish I could, I could have backing music in my life. I could just have Pastor Terry following me everywhere and I could just go, Terry, hit it. But we have to make a stand without backing music. In a moment, I'm going to invite us to respond and we won't close our eyes and there won't be any music because they won't be out there. So let's practice in here. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet if you're able, because you know that it's time for you to be known as a follower of Jesus. You've been kind of undercover. No one really knows. And it's time for you to be known. In a moment, in fact, you can begin to stand if you'd like, whenever you want, if you want to respond to this, because you're saying, I, I don't want to be undercover. I, 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 want to, I want to make a stand. Some of us, we're standing in these moments because we know that we've blended and just become like part of the crowd. And it is time for us to stop removing uniform and mingling with crowd. It is time for us. And some of us are going to stand in these moments and bless you for already responding because it's time to go into our workplace or our family or to friends and apologise and say, you know, I haven't got this right and I've not arrived, I'm in the process. I think people would be less willing to call Christians hypocrites if they realise that we're the people who realise we're sinners in need of a saviour. And it might be that we're standing because a new start needs to be made. Folks, I know there's no music and everyone's looking, but if we can't do it in here, we won't ever do it out there. And we don't all need to stand. Hey, careful. I'm serious. I really mean this. Only please stand. If you're responding to this message, and if you just stood just then because you wanted to help me out, sit back down again. Take, Take the weight off your feet. It's all right. Some of us maybe stand because it's time to give our lives to Christ, whatever the cost. I showed you photographs of two men who suffered greatly because they decided to follow Jesus. Now let's pray. And our musicians now will will help us. Father, thank you for each and every person who is making a response to you today and you know why it is that they're standing. Some of us because we want to be, we want to own the name of Jesus. We are not going to be ashamed. Some of us because we have, we found ourselves running with the crowd, Marching to their drumbeat rather than following you. Would you give grace? Would you give strength? Would you give decisiveness? Some of us, Lord, because we, we're sensing the need to apologize, to put something right. 
And would you give us the courage to follow through with that and fruit as a result of it. But whether or not anyone responds, help us to put right where we've messed it up. And others, Lord, so with our eyes open, Lord, not in some faraway place, but here, in our world, we declare that yours is the kingdom, the power, the honour, and the glory forever and ever. Well, I could get a little bit excited here. We declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we go now in the confidence that comes from knowing Him. Everyone said Amen. Prayer team will be here. Have a wonderful autumn day. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Great to see you.